From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, But I am coming to you from Zoomerplex in the uh, Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. And it has been several months since I've been here. And it's good to see my technical producer, Carlos Cagina, once again in the flesh. No, he's... Come on, he's fully clothed. You have such a filthy mind. I'm in person. It's good to see him in person is what I meant. One of the reasons I'm here is the receptionist here keeps emailing me. Come and pick up your mail. It's piling up. And boy, oh boy, do I have a lot of mail. So that's one of the reasons I'm here. And getting a little too comfortable in my home studio back in Thornhill. So a change of scenery is good. Anyway, look at this mail. Books from publishers. Let me just, just bear with me here. Let's have a look. Crack some of these open. I get the most wonderful mail, I have to tell you. You know, books from vampire slayers. And uh, here's one. Dark Covenant. How the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable. Why the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. A little light time reading. And then lots of letters here. And I, if you wrote to me and you haven't heard back from me, my, I've, here's one postmarked July 6th. From Ioni, California. I'll, I'll read these when I get home. Kitchener, a nice, uh, happy and peaceful Pascha holiday. I'm not sure where that one's from. Thank you, anyway. Guelph. Here's, oh, Express Post. Let's see what this is. This one is uh, June. Oh, my Lord. Has it been that long, Carlos? June 7th? Oh, 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 look at this. This is from my... Grade 8 teacher at Woodman Drive, my all-time favorite teacher. And he has written me a, a, a long letter, and I will, I'm will i going to read that at home. But, um, again, my apologies letting this pile up. All right. Uh, that brings me back memories. What a wonderful teacher uh, he was and is a wonderful man. Uh, Victor Vigiani is a former school principal, speaking of teachers. But for the last 30-plus years, he's been very interested in... And concentrating on the the UFO ET issue, he's one of Canada's most passionate UFO disclosure advocates. And uh, he's here tonight. He's here because, well, this is big news. Big, big news. The U.S. Congress has essentially told the Pentagon, start studying UFOs seriously. Start studying them seriously. And this is how serious this is. They've actually written, the Congress, that is, has written an amendment into the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. And so that carries some weight, obviously. So we'll uh, get into uh, that with Victor Vigiani in just a few moments. In hour two, and Victor is going to hang around for this uh, as well, the Reverend Michael Carter is a longtime experiencer, and he's had contact with entities possibly extraterrestrial, possibly interdimensional. And uh, his latest book asks the question, are you experienced? Wasn't that the name of uh, Jimi Hendrix's first album, Carlos? Aren't you, are you experienced, right? That's Jimi Hendrix. Yes, I'm getting the thumbs up. But I, I think Hendrix meant it in a different way, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, the Reverend Carter, his latest book is Initiation, The Spiritual Transformation of the Experiencer. 
and Reverend Carter will be here again in hour two to explain the spiritual transformation he and others have undergone as a result of extraterrestrial contact. Uh, now, one more piece of business before we get uh, Victor in here. A big, big thanks to our Star Chamber patrons, Deep Paul, Dr. E. Lyle Gross, and Tim Sullivan. Deep Paul, Dr. E. Lyle Gross, and Tim Sullivan, your uh, support and generosity. I, you can't imagine how grateful I am. Uh, words cannot express. This, this is just uh, so touching and humbling. I guess, I guess, well, these three are in our Star Chamber tier up at uh, Patreon, which means, I guess, this is the top tier. I guess this means they really, really love this program and, and my podcast and the newsletter and everything we do here. So thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart. If I just mean so much. And it makes a big difference. It does. It really makes a big difference. So if you want to become an official donor, you can go to patreon.com slash strange planet patreon.com slash strange planet and then choose the tier that's right for you there are several to choose from but any monthly contribution is greatly appreciated all right let's talk about the u.s congress telling the pentagon to study ufos victor vigiani is the executive director of zealand communications his research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomenon spans as i say well over 30 years his experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalisms in the field of ETI disclosure issues. Victor, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Just fine, Richard. <laughs> it sounds like Christmas morning for you, opening uh, all that kind of stuff under the tree. I, I got a half oh, dozen books here and letters, and yes, it is. It's always it's Christmas, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of mail, I mean, I got the interesting email. It was a press release you released through Zealand Communications, right? About this breaking story, the U.S. Congress making an amendment to the U.S. Defense Authorization mm-hmm. Act. So what does that mean exactly? I spelled it out in very basic, simple terms. Yeah. They're basically telling the Pentagon to study UFOs, but surely it means more than that. Yeah, there's a real chronology and a real history behind what you just described, how it played out, how it panned out, how it began. And in order for your, your, you know, our listeners to really understand how this thing evolved over time, it's really important that they understand how this thing all got started. And it, it really did get started back in 2017, when the New York Times writers, uh, Ralph Blumenthal, Leslie Kane, and Helen Cooper, released an absolute blockbuster article in the New York Times talking about the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program that was instituted by Harry Reid with a $22 million funding mechanism through through the Senate. And that ATIP program, AAIP, program was really kind of planned out over several years from 2007 to 2012. And uh, they did actually investigate UFOs during that period of time, way before any of this started. And Luis Elizondo was the executive director of that program. That was a secret program. That's right. It operated way, way behind any kind of secrecy walls that we could ever imagine. It was going on without anyone's uh, real understanding that it existed. They had what they called the sea wing in the, in the bottom basement of the Pentagon. Sounds very clandestine, but that's exactly what happened. And, and they it, well, you mentioned things. ATIP, the acronym standing for Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. So their mission was, I guess, to determine whether these 
unidentified aerial phenomenon, whether they posed any risk, any national security threat, right, and so yeah. forth. Essentially, that's what they did, yeah. And it was really kind of interesting to see how much they looked at. I interviewed Luis Elizondo about six months ago, just after um, some of the stuff that he came forward about, and he said that they went back as far back as, as the 90s to look at some things that were going on, and they came to the conclusion that these things, they didn't know what they were, were in fact some form of national security threat. That's how things evolved. And then from there, he became a little unsettled about what the ATIP program was doing. And we can get into those reasons at some other time. But in fact, he became very disenchanted with the approach that the Pentagon was taking at the time. And he resigned from his position as the director and national security advisor for the ATIP program. And with that, it's important to understand that he took three or four separate uh, videos with him. And how he did that, who knows. But in fact, he was the one who released these videos and got them out into the public domain. We call them the Tic Tac videos. Right. These There's were taken, this is Navy, Navy plane gun camera footage. That's right. Off yeah. the coast of San Diego. Exactly. And these crap look like Tic Tacs. And then right. because when he resigned, that's when he became a whistleblower and I guess went to Blumenthal, Keene, and, and Helen Cooper. And that's what precipitated the December 2017 New York Times article. That's right. That sort of opened up the floodgates, because in my discussions with Rob Blumenthal, he was very clear that they had this this information, and they really didn't know what to do with it, Richard. They really they sat around for a long, long time in the editor's room and, and, and in the, uh, with the publisher saying, you know, what should we do with this stuff? Much like the machinations that they did with the Pentagon Papers and Watergate, too. They didn't know how hot this stuff really was. But it eventually turned out to be something very, very hot. And as a result of that, several years later, we're moving forward now in time. The Intelligence Authorization Act for the fiscal year 2021 was brought into play by the uh, Select Senate Committee on Intelligence. And this is a bill, a de facto bill, that's happened for 59 years in a row. So every year, the Senate Committee on Intelligence develops this bill and basically Richard, it's a funding bill. It gives all of the intelligence agencies and the military their, their funds to operate for that year. So it's something that's worked on every single year for the past 59 years, but there's a real big difference in this one that happened in 2020 as they prepared it. Marco Rubio, who was the chairman at the time, and Mark Warner, who was the co-chair, uh, Warner was a Democrat and uh, Rubio was a sitting uh, Republican, they somehow snuck in or inserted a section in that bill. And we don't know how or why that happened, but they put a section in there on advanced aerial threats. And they demanded, they required the Director of National Intelligence to provide that committee, the Select Senate Committee, with a report, a complete report of all the data that the Defense Department had about UAP. And that was a significant starter button that was pushed by uh, Rubio and Warner to get this thing all going. And that Defense Act, Fiscal Act, was really, really important in kick-starting everything that's happened that we're seeing today. Right. When those Tic Tac UFO videos were released, Rubio, a Republican senator from Florida, really kind of took the lead on that and was voicing his concern that, you know, if these aren't ours... So that leaves us two options. They're either extraterrestrial, I don't know if he even used that term, but the other option, of course, was, you know, these are our adversaries that have this 
technology. And if our adversaries have this technology, mainly, you know, the Russian or the Chinese, we are in deep doo-doo because you can hear the pilots in the Tic Tac videos. He's been very vocal about this. He's very concerned about the national security risk they might pose. So I guess he was one of the driving forces. But wasn't there a big – there was supposed to be a big dump from the Pentagon this past summer that kind of fizzled and went nowhere, right? Yeah, that's right. It really didn't provide anything that was specific in terms – they were required to report. That's that's the main thing that they were required to do. And they did a – one longer report, I'm not sure how long it was, but it was a significantly long report that outlined what they had investigated as required by the Select Senate Committee. And that was called the, the Preliminary Assessment on Identified Aerial Phenomena. That was uh, the 25th of June, 2001. Right. And it was submitted as an intelligent assessment to outline the threats posed by these UAP and the progress that the Department of Defense was making at the time through this this body called the the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, the UAPTF. Right, sorry, I think you said 2001. You meant 2021, right? Uh, pardon me, yes, it is. Pardon me, yes, you're yeah. right. 2021. It wasn't quite that far back. Thank <laughs> you for that correction. In any case, uh, yeah, that this was a preliminary report, and many people were really disappointed in the way this report was framed, at least the public section of it. And it sort of didn't sit well with a whole lot of people, but it did actually... Uh, clarify the Defense Department's position on this. And as everybody would, you know, really understand, they they did a great job in defining or framing this whole issue as a national security threat. They didn't want to go into the kinds of things that we've been talking about for decades in terms of, you know, UFOs and why they're here and uh, whether they're extraterrestrial or not. No, they went on the side of, we don't know what these things are, we have no idea, although many people do feel that they do know that, but the data shows that these things are unidentified. We don't know where they're from. They could be foreign adversaries. They're, they could be our own, own technology. We don't know. The fact of the matter is, as Rubio said, these are a national security threat, and that's where they pretty much left it. Right. It, it was very clever on, on their part. I, th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Victor, because you, you dive deep into these. I, I thought that they had basically... Uh, admitted that the technology is not ours, um, but they were kind of leaning towards it could be, we can't say for sure, it could be our adversaries, which was kind of a, a very clever way of asking for more money because if they're, if this technology is our adversaries, we're not saying 100%, but if it is, you know, we need to figure out how to counteract that. We need more money. Well, <laughs> That's exactly what I would I would guess, Richard. Ninety percent of the, uh, the UFO research community, how they understood this this particular uh, statement by the Defense Department or the, the this task force, and it was um, it, it, a kind of a less than blatant attempt to get some more money into the funding bill, the the Fiscal Act of 2021, to make sure that the United States had the right uh, amount of funding to uh, protect itself from these so-called national security threats. And that is how people bought it. And that's how people in the military bought it. That's how the Pentagon framed it. And it just sort of sat there, and people didn't really take a, take the opportunity to understand what really was behind all the wording. And the wording was like simply nine pages. And if you read it, it's just another way of, of framing secrecy. That's all it was in, in, my, in my estimation. They, they put the data out there. 
they say they don't know what it is, and, and then they fail back once again to the national security threat. So, yeah, I think you're right. It was a very kind of cunning way to, uh, to, to look at obtaining more funds for the military and intelligence agencies. So now we have an amendment um, into the National Defense Authorization Act, as you say. They do this every year or have for the last six decades, uh, which is it's funding for not only the Pentagon, but also the various alphabet intelligence agencies. But there's usually some pet projects in there. Uh, and in this case, it is a directive for the military to study the UFOET issue. Mm-hmm. Now, um, isn't this basically just a tip under a, under a different name? I mean, and, and, and secondly, and, and we're almost into the break here, we can discuss when we come back. Secondly, do we even know for sure that ATIP, the previous incarnation under Luis Elizondo, uh, isn't still operating, even though they told us, I think, 2012 they shut it down. But mm-hmm. do we know that for certain? Right. Well, yeah, I think that the, the whole idea about the pet projects, I mean, I, I've got the act in front of me here, Richard, and uh, the, the, the act that you're referring to, the fiscal year uh, 2021, it talks about you know funds for chemical agents, munitions, dumps, uh, U.S. Army retirement homes, the Space Force. So there's a whole litany of things that um, that the this fiscal act is uh, setting aside for the military and the intelligence agency. So and then in all of this, it did ask for funds to do the same basic thing as ATIP did, but in a more direct way. And this and the conduits through which it happens through the de- Department of the National. Um, uh, intelligence agencies, and also to the office of the Inspector General. That's when things really, really got complicated. So those two agencies, the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, and uh, the office of the uh, Secretary uh, General, we can talk about that on the other side of the break. These two things, these two entities, really kind of massaged this whole issue into a much, much bigger aspect in the ATIP program, as it turns out. All right. Victor, hold on. We'll come back and we'll discuss uh, the amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, ordering the Pentagon and various other agencies to study in earnest the UFO-ET issue. Victor Vigiani stays with us from Zeland News Network, Zeland Communications, back with more in a moment. Stay with us. When you look at the sky... Ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Just continuing to go through my mail here. I see a book has arrived. Probably a couple of months it's been sitting here anyway from my good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Give me liberty, not Marxism. And then uh, our good friend Thomas Horn from Skywatch TV. They do great work, great books. Uh, Zeitgeist 2025, Countdown to the Secret Destiny of America. So uh, these have arrived, and I will get these people on the, bo- on the uh, show soon. All right, Victor Vigiani stays with us from Zeland Communications. We're talking about this U.S. Uh, Congress amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, asking asking or demanding? I mean, how much weight does this carry, Victor, uh, that they study UFOs? Is this a command? Do they have to, does the Pentagon have to follow this? Well, in a, in a way, that's exactly what it is, because... As Luis Elizondo framed it in one of his um, discussions with uh, one of the agencies or one of the, uh, the interviews that he did, he said that this, this Authorization Act, the Fiscal Act of 2000, for 2021, is essentially a budget bill. And that's how all of the agencies, the intelligence agencies 
and the military, every single department within, within the military, get their money. So in order for them to receive their money, they have to comply with this entire act. It's not like it's a menu. They can pick and choose what they want to do. They have to comply with every single element in this act. And once they do, the money flows. So uh, when you call it a requirement or a demand, yes, uh, when, when the bill, when the Authorization Act said to the Director of National Intelligence, which is part of the agencies to get money, when they said, provide our committee with all of the data that you have on UAP, uh, it, 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 it is a requirement, it is a demand that the Director of National Intelligence actually do this. And further to that, which is really important to, and really kind of interesting to understand, that the Office of the uh, Inspector General, just after this was all passed, put in place uh, an, evalu- an evaluation process, an oversight process, where they, the Office of the, uh, the Inspector General, actually monitored what the Director of National Intelligence was doing with respect to how they crafted their inspection or their investigation of the UFO phenomenon. So no, not only was the Senate watching, the Office of the Inspector General was also watching the Director of the National Intelligence do, in fact, what they required that office to do. So there's a whole lot of things that, in fact, did require um, the, the Pentagon and the military and all these agencies do in order to receive their funds. Okay, so... Is there a requirement to, uh, on a yearly basis, every six months, to report back? Uh, can they can they claim we can't release these documents because of national security issues? Can they produce redacted documents? How open with this and, and transparent will this, um, you know, reporting be back to the to these Senate committees? Yeah, excellent question. Uh, like most of the other uh, things that came down from the Director of National Intelligence with the preliminary report, there was a longer, a much longer classified report. So uh, through this new amendment uh, sponsored by Ruben Gallego, he's a representative from Arizona, and he sponsored the uh, the actual amendment. And it, it, it's sort of a, a, a demand within a demand, if, you, if I can put it that way again, so the, the demand that he said uh, that the Secretary of Defense to establish an office to carry out the mission currently operated by the uh, United uh, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. So do the same thing that the task force did, but do it in a way that's within the Department of Defense. That's the big difference. The, 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 uh, the UAP task force didn't do it within the actual Defense Department. But this requirement, this amendment by Gallego, required it to be within the Defense Department, which is a really, really important part. And then the other part of it is, to answer your question directly, is to submit an annual report uh, to the Select Committee on the aerial phenomena. And not only an annual report, they're required to, uh, to report quarterly uh, on this. Now, with respect to how public that, um, that report would be, there will probably be exactly the same thing a classified report, a longer report, a much more in-depth report, but then, you know, as, as you, you and I have understand secrecy all, all along for many, many years, there will be a public report that's a little bit more uh, sanitized, I would imagine. That's my guess. It may happen the other way completely. We don't really know, but there will be a classified report and there will be uh, a public report. And so that's the, uh, the idea behind this whole um, initiative that Galeo put in place. And once again, I, I, I do have to say, I've never heard of Ruben Gallego. And why 
would he be interested in all this stuff? That's in a very same good point. Way, right. My question would be as to why Marco Orubio uh, would be in, 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 you know, so involved in this. I, I don't know what their motivation is. Is it political? Is it sort of personal self-interest? Why would they be interested in UAP? I would love to know the answer to that question. Well, let's speculate a bit. Do, do you, and I know you've thought of this, has, do you think Rubio may have had, when you say personal interest, do you mean he's had an encounter that he could be a contactee? <laughs> wow, that's, that's, a, that's a big speculation. It's a long branch to climb out on. But uh, when you look at some of the people, Richard, who have been involved in this this phenomenon over the last 75 years, and I could rhyme off at least a dozen of them who are, are military people uh, who have, you know, been involved, you know, stated things about citing reports and been involved in, you know, sending out memos and things like that. Uh, a lot of them down the road have either said specifically that, they, yes, I had my own UFO encounter or my own UFO sighting. Uh, Captain Robert Salas is a very good example of that. And maybe we can dwell on that for a second, because um, Robert Salas was involved in the missile shutdowns in Malston Air Force Base in the late 1960s. And he was, you know, 60 feet underground and received uh, information that uh, this red UFO was hovering over there, over the gates, and then shut down um, you know, 12, of, 12 of the missiles at that time. So that was something he was directly involved in. And then lo and behold, many, many years later, almost two decades later, he came forward to say that he, in fact, did have um, a contactee experience, uh, an abduction experience. So this is not untypical of people that are in the military who come forward for one reason or another and make a statement about this whole UAP or UFO phenomenon, and then down the road, they, they, they let it loose. Yes, I did see a UFO. I saw several UFOs, whatever it might be. And some of them even report contact experiences. So it could be well within the range of speculation that Rubio may have had a, um, an encounter himself. I, you know, I can't say that for sure. We could never do it. But uh, this kind of stuff, if, if you go through an, a UFO sighting, it really gets to you. It really shakes up your whole worldview about what you believe. Now, you know, Rubio ran for president at the, you know, way back when, and he would never have admitted it back then, but now he's in a safer space, and he's, he's positioning himself to say or do something, I think, uh, very spectacular about this down the road, once all of this information gets washed through the Defense Department and the Pentagon. So right. it wouldn't surprise me in the least, uh, Richard. And, and the sponsor uh, of the bill from the or, the, or the House of Representative version, uh, the Democrat from Arizona, uh, let's speculate a little bit. I'm just. I'm going to say maybe. Maybe he was in '90s. Was it uh, the Phoenix Lights? Uh, what year was that again? 2000 and '97. Uh, '97. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. '97. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe hey, he was it, part of the Phoenix Lights mass sighting. Hard to say. It really is because if you look at some of his uh, his uh, congressional uh, websites, the, the, the picture that he has, it doesn't state exactly how old this, this fellow is, but. He's, uh, he's just a young fellow, and he could very well have been uh, either p- part of that, saw it, or at least was told by his parents or whatever, or his friends, that this uh, particular sighting, the huge sighting at the, in, you know, over Phoenix with the Phoenix Lights, he could have been part of that. We, we just don't know. And uh, it, it always amazes me, and I go back to that again in terms of people who have had sightings, they, they, they let it sit within them for a while, and then for one reason or another, 
it comes out. It becomes public. Now, he may or may not say that eventually, but uh, there has to be a motivation. People just just don't do things for for, for um, just for the heck of it. They do it for, for either political motivation or because they're internally driven to do it, because the UAP issue has a way of uh, getting inside of your mindset, changing your worldview, and making you do and say things that you might not say ordinarily. So the, um, the injection of this advanced aerial threat section into this budget bill, is there a, a, a dollar amount? You, you, we know that $22 million was set aside for the, the original ATIP program under Senator Harry Reid and that Louis, Louis Elizondo was part of. Is there a dollar amount affixed to this project? I have read uh, most of it, Richard. I've read the itemized versions of everything. Um, once or twice, and all they do is specify uh, the, the, uh, the items as they research and development for uh, operation and maintenance of, of, uh, of capital funds, for example. Uh, but there, I have not read any dollar figure that I can see that's been allocated to that uh, advanced aerial threat section. I would consider it to be, you know, multiples of the $22 million that... Um, uh, that Harry Reid obtained through the Senate funding, I, I would think it'd be multiples of that. To, to uh, oh my goodness, I would say, I, I would guess at least two hundred million dollars would would be allocated to that. And that the, the funds that they allocate to these other things are huge. So um, my guess would be this would be in the millions and millions of dollars. All right, we'll uh, take another time out. When we come back, we'll find out how. The former director of ATIP, Luis Elizondo, feels about all this. And um, also, how far back do they have to go? Do they just have to report on sightings going forward? Do they have to? Do they have some legal box somewhere containing artifacts? Do they have to divulge that? We'll find out. Victor Vigiani stays with us. Zeland Communications back with more of the Conspiracy Show right after these. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. So, Victor, um, so many questions, so little time. Uh, will will they have to, they, the Pentagon, uh, the intelligence agencies, anyone who has access to materials relating to UFOs, how far, do they have to go back as well if they have... Do they have to clear out the cupboards? They Oh, look, I found a file re, uh, concerning the uh, Roswell, which was never released. Do they have to give up that sort of thing? If they have, I don't know, if they have, you know, material, mm-hmm. um, um, trace evidence. Well, that, that, I, li- I love that term, clear the cupboards. <laughs> it's a very good way of looking at it. Old Mother Hubbard, right? Um, it, it, yeah, it, with the preliminary act, the, the, the first one that the, um, that the Pentagon released, um, it, it it sort of set the the time frame, and it was really kind of ludicrous when you when you look at what the time frame actually was. They only went back as a result of the of the investigation that it, that events that occurred between two thousand and four and two thousand and twenty one. Now that's absolutely you know in any kind of investigation the, that parameter is just un, totally unreasonable and tailored to meet their own way of wanting to define this thing. Now, if you go back to the act itself, and I've got it right here in front of me, and it says, report on all data that you have. And that's what the preliminary report did. It reported on all data that it had from 2004 to 2021. 
Now, when you look at the, the classified version of that, it would have to be mandated that the Defense Department, through this new office that, uh, uh, that's been created through the amendment, look at all of the data. Now, what does all of the data mean, and how deep do they want to dig? And if the Inspector General's um, oversight process is really effective and if it has any teeth to it at all, if the if this these these reporting agencies come forward and say, well, we only looked at you know from 1985 forward, no, 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 that's not what we asked you. We want all of the data. Now, what data means? It could go from you know you and I know about Roswell. We've talked about it. We've had experts on about it, but we also know that in 1942 there was a crash, and there was another crash, uh, you know, in the St. Augustine Plains near Roswell again. So it, 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 to be authentic about this and not to have to, you know, be redefined over and over again, no, give us more, give us more, they, they, they are forced to, they are required to report on all data. Now, they, including, you know, sighting reports and, and, and crash retrievals, there's another big one, crash retrievals in my mind, has to be some really, really important part about that. That's number one. And the other one, we talked about it earlier, Richard, is this whole idea of nuclear missile shutdowns. Right, the right. Shutdown, that, that, to me, is the big deal. That, that, that is the game-breaker. And if the Pentagon does not report on that, you know that we're not getting the full goods because it happened multiple times at multiple Air Force bases and nuclear launch facilities, not just Malmstrom Air Force Base. It's happened at many, and it's still going on. So if the if the Pentagon does not report on that, if the DOD does not, we will know that they're not being authentic about what they're doing. Now, who who has the uh, uh, you know the, the 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 power to call the question on these agencies? I don't know about right. that. But and this but this this bill would not cover. I'm guessing uh, these black ops. Or these special programs that are not that have no congressional oversight that even the former director of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff couldn't get read into. Oh, for sure, yes. You bring up a good point. These whole black operations. Um, it's uh, as Senator Inouye said way back when. Um, there is a government within a government that we just do not have access to. That continues to be a problem. Continues to be an ongoing level of secrecy that some people uh, who are, you know, the, the highest officials, the Secretary of Defense, uh, you name it, any kind of lawyers within the Defense Department, or people who want to look at this stuff, if those black ops are, in fact, as deep as they are, and my assessment is, Richard, they are as deep as, as they can ever be, there, are, there is information there that if it were to be, this is just my own speculation now, okay, and I have a, a pretty good authority that this information is there, that they know that these departments in the, in, the, uh, in the black operations know, in fact, A, about the technology that these UAP use in order to travel at or beyond light speed. They know that anti-gravitic propulsion systems are, in fact, possible and even being experimented upon uh, within the, the, the government. Now, they can, they can use the whole catchphrase of national security not to release those kinds of things. And who can wrench that free? God only knows, Richard. Uh, what are the, what's going to end up on the president's desk? Is, is someone going to uh, you know, drop a piece of uh, memory foil on his desk and say, look what we found? 
I love that. You have a great way of framing the question. Well, what's going on right now is that there are two separate um, uh, things going on. There's a separate thing going on in the Senate in terms of crafting a bill uh, that the Senate has with respect to putting it on the desk of the president. This bill is, you know, how this thing is all going to pan out. And there's another, what they call a resolution in the House of Representatives. There are two separate um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, streams of information that the House of Representatives are going to do and that the Senate's going to do. And they somehow have to figure out a way to bring these two bills and, and resolutions to um, a, a common kind of um, a, a common kind of bill so that they can agree upon what has to happen. And that's got to include all of the fiscal responsibilities uh, for, for the funding, and it also has to include the UAP issue. So they're really struggling to get this bill in one form so that it can arrive after it's passed in the Senate and in the House of, House of Representatives and can arrive on the desk of the president to sign. Now, what that bill's going to look like is, is anybody's guess, but I don't think anybody in the Senate or the House of Representatives is going to balk at the idea of having something in those that, that, that common bill that will uh, not include the UAP phenomenon because it's gone too far, and they can't. They they, they will not uh, eliminate that aspect of the of the fiscal act in order for it to go onto the president's desk. So, to, to me, what's got to happen is that uh, it may not be a piece of material, although it may allude allude to it in the in the classified section. It very well could, but it will allude to the fact that the president of the United States will be signing a bill that will continue this four or five year program. To investigate UFOs, and the general public and the you know the international community are just going to have to deal with what comes out of that continuous reporting that's going to have to happen over the next four or five years. All right, we'll uh, take a quick time out, uh, Victor. When we come back, I do want to get back to Luis Elizondo, yeah, and sure. uh, also we have to talk about that conference in San Marino, Italy, that happened uh, last week. Victor Vigiani stays with us, Zealand News Network, and uh, the Conspiracy Show returns in mere moments. Stay with us. Just want to quickly acknowledge some of these uh, letters and so forth. Uh, so the Happy and Peaceful Pascha, uh, which of course was back in April, uh, that lovely card comes from Melanie. Melanie, thank you for that. And very quickly, this one just uh, this is from Las Vegas, uh, August 29th. Okay, that's not too bad. Uh, dear Richard, your interview with Don Donder. Uh, Don Don Derry, my apologies. Don Don Derry, yes, he was terrific. That was simply fantastic. He's the most knowledgeable and intelligent person I've ever heard on the subject. Hope you have him back on for a full four-hour show. Ah, that was probably... We had Don Don Derry on Coast to Coast. That was... At, uh, I think that's what uh, the letter writer from Las Vegas is referring to. And I'm sorry, I can't read the signature. Uh, but thank you so much for that and all your letters. All right, back to Victor Vigiani. We're talking uh, about the... Um, uh, I guess re-injecting the advanced aerial threat uh, section into this massive defense budget bill. Um, Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, and uh, Mark Warner. And then there was a House version from uh, House, uh, a representative from Arizona. Anyway, so I wanted to get your, your take on uh, Luis Elizondo, who resigned from the original ATIP program, mm-hmm. blew the whistle, which led to the New York Times article in 2017. What does he make of all this? Well, he's, uh, as I said earlier in, in our discussion, uh, Richard, I, I interviewed Luis uh, about six months ago, and this is just after everything kind of broke and he kind of was doing his first series of interviews with, with people. 
And he was very, um, I, I don't like the word cagey, but reluctant to, to divulge too much. But he did say that more was coming, that what he learned at the, uh, within the ATIP program was so disturbing, was so um, revelatory to him that he, he said, uh, I, I, need, I, I need to do something about this. We cannot keep this with, within the Defense Department. It's, this is not classified information. These videos were not necessarily classified as, as, um, as national security uh, threatening at the time. So he was convinced that this stuff had to go forward, and the, um, the Department of Defense and the Pentagon were not willing to do that, and that's why he resigned. So he resigned, took, took the three or four videos with him, and made them public. And he went on many, many different programs, interviews, so on and so forth, uh, and made his case that this stuff has to be the biggest one was 60 Minutes. And he was on 60 Minutes uh, last year to really divulge to the American public and to the world what he had done uh, with respect to his job at, at the ATIP program. And in my estimation, 60 Minutes is, is, the, is the throne of media coverage in the United States. If you make it on 60 Minutes, you got it made. Right, and that's what Luis Elizondo did. Right, a similar, uh, you know, explosive interview with it Robert is. Bigelow, exactly. Uh, also, who was involved in ATIP. I guess he was kind of administering that twenty-two million dollars. So, uh, there's an interesting. You mentioned you, you sent me an email uh, with some information here, and mm-hmm. one of the the names that pops up is the Pentagon spokesperson Susan Goff or Gao, right. and I, I seem to remember that name. Remember when there was that that huge story that came out that uh, the, the Pentagon has. UFO technology uh, from crash sites. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Susan Goff or Gao who uh, was front and center and kind of walked that back and said, no, what we meant was, you know, these were not UFO crash sites. These were, uh, you know, th- this is foreign technology that we've recovered. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, I think that was Susan Goff, right? Exactly. You're exactly right. It was Susan Goff, yeah. All right. Somehow she's she's kind of involved in an interesting story with Elizondo and Danny Sheehan, who was on our program uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's right. Uh, what, what Susan Goff did as a spokesman for the Pentagon was completely attempt to destroy Luis Elizondo's credibility. And she denied, she was the spokesperson that said that he had no role in the ATIP program. He was not the security advisor. He was not the director of the program, which was absolute balderdash. It was, in fact, a bald-faced lie. And uh, what happened after that, and I'll try to make this as as quick as we can, because I do want to get to San Marino, but what what happened from there was that Luis Elizondo became so indignant about this, he asked uh, Danny Sheehan, a congressional or their uh, constitutional lawyer, to represent him at the time. So what they did, they demanded an audience with uh, the Office of the Inspector General. And they sat down on June 15th with the, in the Office of the Inspector General with their lawyers for four hours. And what Danny Sheehan said to these people, we want Susan Goff to stop denigrating um, Luis Elizondo because what she's saying is absolutely false and it's a lie. And if uh, we, 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 we present... Uh, a very good argument about this, and we can, in fact, prove that everything that she says is a lie about Luis Elizondo. So for four hours, they, they argued about this, and eventually got the, the, the accommodation that, in fact, Luis was the director of the program, and he was the, the, the security officer. So they cleared that issue up quite quickly, thanks to Daniel Sheehan. 
And so, so Luis Elizondo has, in fact, been vindicated. And now what he's doing, he's writing a book on this. He's writing sort of a, uh, call it an autobiography, I'm not quite sure, but, but regarding uh, that information, the people have to know about this. And what he's saying is that the, this whole idea of the UIP narrative, the conversation is only just beginning, and he's going to be releasing some unheard of details in this book. What it includes, who knows? But I'm really curious and very expectant about what this, what this book is going to say to us from his perspective. Okay, so about a week and a half ago, uh, September 8th to the 12th, there was this uh, conference in San Marino, Italy. Uh, a number of international countries or representatives attended. What was it about? Who was there? And what, what was uh, accomplished? Well, really, that's a, it's, a, it's a great kind of a opportunity to realize how international this whole issue has become because from September the 8th to September the 12th, there was a huge meeting of, uh, well over, my information, well over 1,500 people in San Marino, Italy. And what the whole, um, it was a phenomenon uh, that happens regularly, okay? This, this happens uh, yearly. But what they did this year is very unique, was that San Marino is a member state of the UN. And we had two people from the ICER um, uh, organization, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, do a presentation to the San Marino group. And what they did was they, they, they were asking the San Marino delegation and the San Marino government, uh, their, their organization, to put a petition or a proposal before the U.N. to organize an annual U.N. conference on UFOs. And that's a, this very short scenario about what, what really happened. And there was two groups, one Italian UFO group and the ICER group, who proposed that the U.N., be responsible for organizing a world UFO conference. And apparently, from my information, I've yet to talk to uh, the vice president of ICER, Gary Hasseltine. I've yet to talk to him about whether or not that proposal A was voted on. My information is that, that it was, uh, uh, and then what will happen next in terms of how the UN will respond to this. Um, they have to respond to it, to this request by uh, the San Marino, De- San Marino delegation to actually have a world UFO conference, which is an international story that will eventually unfold if the UN does agree to this kind of, uh, this kind of conference. All right. Uh, so we'll watch that. That's interesting. But l- let me just go back one more time. We just have a minute here. Sure. Uh, back to the National Defense Authorization Act, the Pentagon and defense agencies uh, or intelligence agencies being told to study the UFO uh, issue and report back and give us everything you've got. Um, is this is this going to lead perhaps to to more um, congressional hearings, uh, public hearings, the way that uh, you know we had those that sort of that mock congressional hearing with uh, that you participated in? Mm-hmm. Could we get an actual one this time? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. I was going to bring it up during our conversation earlier, but uh, the other issues are just as important. I'm so glad you brought it up because if if this whole scenario unfolds over the next four or five years. As the U.S. Congress and the Senate do what they do ordinarily with every other issue, as soon as something that really comes up that's so in- integral to to, uh, to national security, whatever it might be, like, like Watergate uh, or, or whatever, it, the first response is always to have public hearings on this. And there is no, as far as I'm concerned, and I know Stephen Bassett believed this too, I've talked to Richard Dolan about it, the only option 
that has to come during this whole process of the reporting uh, by the Director of National Intelligence is, in fact, some form of Senate hearings to bring it forward uh, in a public way, to bring forward pilots, to bring forward people like Robert Salas with the missile shutdowns, to bring forward all of the people who have investigated this over the years, uh, the, you know, the, the Phoenix Lights and the pilots that have, to, that have had actual experiences. They have to get these people before the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee to actually construct hearings to get all the information out and have the general public hear what every single military officer, pilot, and experiencer has, has, has gone through over the past, you know, okay. 35 I, or 40 years. It's got it. absolutely incredibly important that that happens. All right. Uh, we're uh, coming up on the top of the hour. When we come back, the Reverend Michael Carter will be here asking, Are you experienced? Stay with us.